Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, history was made last Thursday. A billionaire on a spacecraft orbiting the Earth placed the supposed first ever bet from space. At least that's what the press release said. Uh, in actuality, he called in a bet from space to a friend in a legal jurisdiction. E- either that or GeoComply has some serious explaining to do. Um, <laughs> here's the crazy part, though, John. He bet on our teams, uh, $4,000 on the over to hit in last Thursday's game between Washington and the Giants and $4,000 on the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. Uh, (laughs) The first bet was a winner. Um, I'm not loving his chances with the second one. Anyway, John, the real story here is the semantics and the framing. Do you feel comfortable with BetMGM calling this the first bet from space? Yeah, Eric, I mean, coincidentally, uh, over at BaseballThinkFactory.org this week, there's a a debate about the idea that Salvador Perez of the Royals, he has hit a record 46 home runs this year because no catcher has ever hit that many. Uh, Still haven't, I'd say. He has 31 home runs as a catcher and 15 as a DH, Mm. but people are insisting that means he has 46 home runs as a catcher, which is kind of weird, and so is this story. Um, (laughs) Good line by you about GeoComply, at least, but... You know, I'd watch a movie where a mobster calls in the first hit from space, though, and the next scene has the cops and other spacecraft start chasing around. I mean, well, I mean, I wouldn't watch the movie, to be honest, but I, I would <laughs> right. I watch the full trailer of that one, at least. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I like that. I definitely watch that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I hate pretty much everything about this story right from the first the first words billionaire on a spacecraft i'm, I'm out on yeah, this guy yeah. instantly but yeah. uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm not on board with considering this bet to have been placed from space uh, to me this is the three billionth bet or whatever placed in new jersey not the first bet from space um he, here's the one good piece of news the billionaire better said any winnings will go to charity so so that's a relief because if the billionaire was keeping his winnings, I would have no choice but to root for my Eagles not to win the Super Bowl. Uh, but, uh, you know, since it's going to charity, go birds. Hey, wait, you're a billionaire and you're betting $4,000 on a game? That's like 15 cents. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even get it. It's just, well, like, he, you know, he might've been limited. That might've been the, the largest bet oh, they yeah, would allow him true. to make on that, <laughs> on true. a, you know, 66 to one shot. Uh, yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. Okay. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 161 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 160 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Go ahead and click subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. I mean, you'll definitely want to be subscribed so you can be a part of history when in the very near future, we record the first gambling podcast from space. Yeah, I'm sure some of our listeners would uh, prefer that, actually. But uh, uh, coming up a little later in the show, we'll be joined by PointsBet senior editor Teddy Greenstein to help us preview this week's Ryder Cup golf event. We'll ask Teddy what he thinks of underdog Europe's chances and which American star he has the most confidence in. Plus, we'll ask the former longtime Chicago Tribune sports writer about the rapid ascent of legal wagering in Illinois. It's been impressive. Uh, But first, it's been a boot camp-like busy week in the world of gambling for me anyway. So let's get to it. 
Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. This week we learned, John, that there might not be any company in the gambling space that DraftKings won't try to acquire. On Tuesday, CNBC reported on a proposal in excess of $20 billion, some combination of stock and cash, from DraftKings to acquire UK-based Entain, the company that owns a 50% share of one of DraftKings' U.S. sportsbook rivals, BetMGM. This comes eight months after Entain rejected an $11 billion all-stock acquisition attempt from MGM Resorts. DraftKings is prepared to offer about double that in its effort to greatly expand its footprint outside the U.S. Interestingly, MGM issued a statement about the proposal saying, any transaction whereby Entain or its affiliates would own a competing business in the U.S. would require MGM's consent, which is a way of saying MGM Resorts intends to retain control of BetMGM. It's all very complicated. These numbers are not just beyond my pay grade. They're kind of beyond my comprehension. Uh, but give me your thoughts, John. For DraftKings, is this about trying to compete with FanDuel owner Flutter? Uh, might MGM Resorts buy out BetMGM before this goes down? Or could we see DraftKings and BetMGM become one, giving the parent company some 40% of the U.S. market? Well, my first thought for sure is that it's amazing to me that our parent company, Better Collective of Denmark, uh, reportedly outbid DraftKings earlier this year to acquire the Action Network for $240 million. Uh, you know, that meant we at US Bets and our sister sites came to be the master of former ESPN sports business analyst Darren Rovell as part of the package. Uh, I've known Darren for more than 15 years, but I'm still relieved he's been such a good sport about doing some landscaping for me this summer. Uh, Elsewhere, um, Entain was GBC Holdings, by the way, less than a year ago, actually. Uh, the rule of thumb now in, in the gaming industry seems to be that if too many people get familiar with your brand, you got to change the name yourself or you buy another company and make that name the new one, like Twin River did with Bally's last year. Right. Uh, it started to remind me of the late 1990s when the New Jersey Nets were sold and various executives were given equity between like one half of a percent and two percent. And of course, that was a bonanza, even at a sale price of 300 million. And now the team is worth about 10 times that amount. So everybody got rich except me. And now I'm kind of reliving the trauma, Eric, because everybody in the gaming industry is getting rich except us. Um, and I'm not one for parlays, as you know, but a wager on FanDuel and DraftKings just wiping out every other gambling company off the face of the earth in the next 36 months strikes me as uh, plausible at this rate. Yeah. 36 might be, I might take the over on 36 months, okay. but you're, you're right. Plausible. Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, I, I guess we should give some credit to the brain trust at Entain for rejecting that $11 billion offer from MGM. Mm -hmm. uh, they said it dramatically mm -hmm. undervalued them. Uh, they've already been proven right <laughs> on that front. Um, I'll uh, share a couple of notes here on the stock moves. Entain quickly shot up some 16% off this news while DraftKings mm -hmm. actually went down about 7%. And um, we should note this has about four more weeks to play out in terms of it going from a proposal to an offer. DraftKings has until October 19th to either make an offer or decide it won't be making an offer after all. So it could turn out this is uh, much ado about nothing. I guess the closest thing I have to a take on this is that it's crazy to watch a company like DraftKings that has never actually been profitable, as far as we know, continuing to spend massive amounts of money. It shows incredible confidence in where the industry is heading. And, uh, you know, I guess you got to spend money to make money. But 
also one would think eventually you, you do got to make that money. But uh, what do I know? I, I've never been involved in a multi-billion dollar deal. I've never paid to orbit the Earth in a spacecraft. This is all, all a bit beyond the sort of spending limits that I understand. Well, that's the other rule of thumb you have to do. Uh, suddenly, when you get close to where if you're not careful, you're going to start making money. You have to keep <laughs> buying and buying, and buying. Always, always keep it a little further. You know, it's like uh, uh, something tantric that Sting would do, but that's another topic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think I think that's that's the sign that we've gotten off track once we're talking sure. about Sting and tantric uh, business. So, okay, let's move <laughs> right. on to story number two. Um, we mentioned Flutter in that last item about a big money proposal, and Flutter is the primary subject of our next news item about large amounts of money changing hands, Flutter Entertainment, which owns FanDuel and the FoxBet PokerStars combo, has settled an old PokerStars legal case with the state of Kentucky for $300 million, which sounds like a lot, but not compared to the $1.6 billion that Kentucky was pursuing. Long story short, when PokerStars operated in Kentucky and most other states in a legal gray area from 2006 to 2011, Kentucky says players in the state lost $300 million, plus costs were incurred to deal with problem gambling. So the state sued several years ago for $870 million, which grew higher and higher with interest. The Kentucky Supreme Court found in favor of the state in 2020 by a 4-3 vote, and attempts by Flutter to overturn that have failed. And Flutter, having already paid $100 million earlier this year, has agreed to pay another $200 million to make the issue go away. And with that, one of the last remaining legal issues connected to the pre-Black Friday era is resolved. John, what are your thoughts on Flutter striking a deal here? And are you surprised Kentucky is the only state that pursued this course of action to collect some apparently easy money? Yeah, I just want to congratulate the state of Kentucky's finest legal eagles for calling Flutter's bluff and the biggest hand they'll ever face in their life, right? Uh, I mean, Flutter is flush with cash, and this bad beat they'll just shrug off. But every man, woman, and child in the bluegrass state is a little wealthier now because they read the faces of those seven judges and figured out what their hands were or what they were thinking or both. Uh, so I say score one for the little guy. Yeah, uh, depending on uh, where the money goes, of, of course. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was wondering if other states uh, might pursue a course like this, whether they looked into filing suits like this. Um, but I guess probably most of them don't have a law on the books like Kentucky has. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about a law from the 1700s called the Loss Recovery Act, which allows Kentucky courts to seize illegal gambling revenues. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all for respecting the Constitution and laws and whatnot, but three centuries old laws about gambling. That's, that strikes me as a bit out of date. I, I don't think they even had the internet in the 1700s, right, John? Mm, I, well, it's a little before my time, but not much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I think Illinois Illinois actually has a, a similar lot of this, uh, although they didn't come up with it on this one. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's different. I, I would definitely love to find out who, who came up with this idea in Kentucky. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not sure the... Uh, most legendary uh, law school graduates all go there. No offense to the good people of Kentucky, but you know somebody figured out, hey, wait a minute, we can we can get something here. And you know, while again for Flutter, it's pennies and a dollar, so they figure out ah, it's no big deal. We 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 almost we could have won the whole thing, and instead we just got to pay a little bit. But Kentucky gets good money there. It's uh, three hundred million. You know, I could do a lot of good, as you say. Who knows where it really goes? But at least on paper, it sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I think both sides can feel okay about this result, you know, like you said, flutter to them, 300 million isn't that much money and they get to be done with all this. And Kentucky 
great payoff. A poker star said that Kentucky players in those five years or so only paid them $18 million in rake. Kentucky is claiming that the players lost money to other players. I guess they're uh, standing up and saying Kentuckians are worse poker players than, than most. I don't know. But yeah, the state gets $300 million. I don't think they're returning it to those players. Uh, I'm pretty sure of that. So yeah, that, that, that's the question is where it's going to go. I hope it'll go to good causes. Gambling addiction services would be nice to see that get some chunk of that since that's yeah. part of what they were saying uh, they spent money on um, or at least state agencies that help people out in some way. If we're taking from Flutter to give to Kentuckians in need, then I'm uh, somewhat okay with the end result, even if I hate anything having to do with the UIGEA and all that. But again, that's that's a big if. I have no idea where this money's going. Me neither, but I'm just going to pretend it's all going to go to good causes. <laughs> if that helps you sleep at night. Yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's finish with a fun one. The story the whole sports betting world was talking about on Monday that 16-game parlay finishing with the Detroit Lions. In case you somehow haven't heard about it, a Michigan better had a $25 free bet at BetMGM and used it on a money line parlay involving every single NFL game in Week 2 that would pay more than 29000 to 1, or almost $727,000. <laughs> and the bet was alive through 15 legs. That included... Washington beating the Giants with the help of a penalty on a field goal attempt. The Vikings missing a 37-yard game winner against Whoa. Arizona. <laughs> and the underdog Titans and Ravens both rallying to beat the Seahawks and Chiefs, respectively. So after a few good picks and a few minor miracles, the better just needed Detroit a plus 400 underdog to beat Green Bay. There was much discussion on the internet of different ways to hedge or partially hedge. But as we learned Wednesday, the better was actually offered a cash out from BetMGM, which usually is not available with a free bet. The better accepted $133,000 pre-tax, a very generous deal. And it turned out to be a wise move as the Lions lost despite holding a three-point lead at halftime. John, what do you think of the bet and the way the better handled it? And did BetMGM get its money's worth in publicity? Well, not only do I love the way this played out, but I'll contrast this with that there, I'll call him reckless fellow who plausibly claimed he would not hedge his St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup bet of a few years ago, even though the Blues have the worst record in the NHL almost halfway through the season and were the longest of long shots in the playoffs. The Blues won anyway, but, you know, that just still annoys me. So here the guy took the deal that pretty much everybody who didn't work for the Nets in the 90s and doesn't work now for U.S. gambling company has to take because they can't afford <laughs> to turn that money down. Um, look, I, clearly there, there are better angles to get a better return here if you're a pro, but not everybody knows how to figure that out and and uh this is a, it's a great result and i think good on bet mgm and i'm really uh appreciative of this better especially if he's got a family young kids and everything just say look you you, you can't risk seven hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars damn it on a stupid football game especially <laughs> the lions of all teams so just get the hell out while you can <laughs> there you go assuming it's a he again i mean True. it could be Oh, wait. Yeah, it's definitely a hate. Um, yeah, again, no one, <laughs> no woman is dumb enough to do these things. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, oh, wait, I, wait, the hedge, the hedge was taken. So that could be a shame. Oh, so that makes you wonder. See, but yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. So I, I think the the hedge offer was such good value that uh, that it was impossible to turn down. Um, I'll, I'll say first that, uh, you know, for BetMGM. I definitely think what they spent was worth the publicity. I mean, here we are saying the name BetMGM over and over to our millions of listeners. Uh, that That's worth at least $133,000 right there. Um, but 
I think they made a better offer than they really had to. They basically offered the the better actual value, which you never get with cash out offers. The books are always trying to tempt you to take something either a little or a lot below actual value. Um, Green Bay was about minus 600 on the money line at kickoff. So that means if the better had bet $727,000 on them in a hedge, it would have paid 104,000. Uh, so I, I think in a normal low profile situation where they were making a cash out offer, it probably would have been like around a hundred grand and they gave him 133. So hmm. whether, wh- whether it's a he or a she, that's such a no brainer that, that you have to take it. Uh, you, you'll just never get that kind of value on an actual hedge bet or any kind of scheme to hedge against it. Um, the one thing that I find interesting about that, this is a, a lot of people pointed out that you always want to try to end your parlay with a favorite, not an underdog, mm. uh, so that yeah. you can hedge inexpensively on that, on mm. the underdog. Uh, so people were saying, you know, if this guy liked the Lions, is a Lions fan, wanted to include them, whatever – he should have just made it a 15 game parlay and not included the Monday night game. Although then he would have still faced a a similar, if smaller dilemma because he had the Ravens over the chiefs. He had the underdog in the Sunday night (laughs) game also. Um, But yeah, clearly this was not, a smart better. Uh, this is a, a guy, let's just say guy, uh, who had a, a $25 free bet and he clicked 16 boxes and he figured there was no chance he was going to win. Th- this was the ultimate recreational bet. Nothing sharp about it. He got lucky with a bunch of games and then was fortunate to get this generous cash out offer. And it's a Michigan better who bet the Lions to be finishing off his success. I mean, yeah. the last 60 years have done nothing, you know. <laughs> I have like a 66-year-old brother-in-law who's a Lions fan. And in his lifetime, I think they've won one playoff game maybe. But um, you would think you would know it's not going to work. And to your 15-leg idea with the the Baltimore-Kansas City game, how great would that have watched the end of that game? Oh, it's yeah. fourth and one. Do we go for it? Imagine if that's that all them he's letting it ride and that's what's going on. And I think you know, a lot of us agreed that you gotta go for it. You can't you can't give the Chiefs the ball back. You're gonna get killed every time. Yep. And even though it was so risky to go for it, it just was even riskier, I think, to not. Like the drama there would have been phenomenal, you know. The idea that like, hey, maybe the Lions will win, and yeah, that's wasn't really that dramatic. Yeah, and not to mention who knows if he would have gotten an opportunity to to hedge in that spot mm-hmm. because yeah. the, you know, with with a Monday night game, it gives Bet MGM 24 hours to yeah. for, to go back and forth with this guy and make the offer. I don't know if they could have gotten a, a cash out deal done before the Sunday night game. He might have yep. really had to sweat out that, that Ravens game. Um, there are a couple of other quick, interesting things here uh, that, uh, that I want to point out. This is such a fun story. I feel like I could talk about it all day, but uh, just a couple other quick notes. Uh, it offers interesting insight into the inner workings of the sports book publicity machine that they made this deal with this guy and kept it quiet for like 36 hours. So the internet could go crazy talking about, hedge options, cash out options, what a sweat on the lions, et cetera. So it was a well played by BetMGM there to uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, keep it on the down low until some time had passed. And, uh, and then the other thing I have to say is look for a significant increase in 16 team money line parlays across all <laughs> operators this week. I guarantee we see a lot of people light five or 10 bucks on fire this weekend, trying to do what this guy did. 
Yeah, don't do that. Like I had a $10 free bet last week and I bet like a you know slight favorite or whatever and I won $9 back. Don't do that with a $10 <laughs> free bet, okay? The other thing you don't do with a $25 free bet is you don't bet all 16 games, okay? I mean, how about as much as I hate parlays, if it's free money, how about a $25 14 parlay with one significant underdog you really love and three favorites? You get a nice price if they win and they won't, but I mean, if they did, you would get a nice price and that's it. So don't do the one team and don't do the 16 team do something a little risky but well how risky is it if it's free money but even so so there's two extremes here i'm on the one so i can't really laugh at the guy who's on the other but uh, everybody else do something in the middle yeah it's it's that responsible attitude towards gambling john that will prevent you from ever winning one hundred thirty three thousand dollars <laughs> in a single weekend yeah or losing a hundred in a single weekend either right. so it works both ways <laughs> yep it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling Let's get to the Gamble On interview. As avid listeners of our podcast have probably noticed, it can be tricky to preview golf tournaments on a podcast that drops around lunchtime on Thursday, as half the field or more has typically teed off by the time our podcast comes out. But the Ryder Cup is one event where organizers clearly have their finger on the pulse of our podcasting schedule. The biennial USA versus Europe competition, which was postponed from 2020 to 2021 due to COVID, begins Friday at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. And joining us now to break it down from a betting perspective is a longtime sports writer for the Chicago Tribune, now the senior editor for PointsBet, a man whose nickname in high school was the bookie, Teddy Greenstein. <laughs> Teddy, welcome to Gamble On. Eric, love the pod. Thanks for having me, bud. Um, so the Ryder Cup is not the typical golf event, and the betting menu looks much different than it does for a standard tournament. As a longtime golf fan, golf writer, now an analyst working for the sports book, how do you rate the experience of betting on the Ryder Cup compared to, say, betting on the Masters or the U.S. Open? I know a lot of people say the Ryder Cup is more fun to watch and to root right. for. Is it also more fun to bet, in your view? We're going to see. I feel like for golf people, the Ryder Cup is second to the Masters in terms of an event that they want to be glued to the TV for or that they want to attend. And I am lucky enough, I'm heading up there tomorrow, driving from Chicago about two hours and 20 minutes. To answer your question, I think it lends itself just ridiculously well for betting because, you know, all the matches, you know, it's going to be, it, it's a match play format. And it's kind of a lot of what we're used to playing with our buddies. Like when we're doing um, a Nassau uh, or, you know, sometimes skins, it's more hole by hole as opposed to an overall score, stroke play event. So, you know, if you're betting on, you know, the Masters, a major, sometimes you have to wait till, the end of Sunday to get a resolution, but here you're going to be betting match to match, or you can, you can go long-term. Like I'm looking at our under over point totals. Like if you're a Daniel Berger fan, our over under for him is 1.5 points. So you can, you can bet him. If you want to fade Brooks Kepka, which I think might not be a bad idea given, you know, his wrist and various things, you can go under 2.5 points. We also have name of bets page. And I do for, uh, a Brooks versus Bryson battle. Uh, Paige's name of bet is for a hole in one. So I think combined with the Ryder Cup and then football Saturday and Sunday, this could be the ultimate betting weekend. 
Yeah, that's there. There's a, a whole lot going on between the the golf and and the football, and uh, it, it sounds like you know people always talk about how the in-game betting is picking up on on a lot of sports. It sounds like this tournament sort of caters, even if you're not in-game betting, it caters to that sort of crowd of you can have a lot of action that settles quickly, a lot of action that settles later. It sounds like that's what you're saying is part of the appeal. Plus the newness of it. So as you mentioned, the last Ryder Cup was three years ago in Paris. In just the span of three years, sports betting in America has gone from like here to here, where more than half of us can legally bet on sports. And obviously points bet is in in seven states now and and, and more to come. So, you know, for those in seven states, you just just open your phone and do it. So I have a feeling if people were betting on previous Ryder Cups, it was very limited. It was only U.S., Europe. Get it in by Friday morning. Hope for the best for three days. And now, you know, you mentioned a menu. That's what we have. I mean, we have like day one correct score. That's kind of a fun one. If you think the USA is going to be up 5-3, that's plus 450. There's just any number of ways to do it. Or you just hop on live and we'll have tons of options. Yeah, now, Teddy, for those un- unfamiliar with this format, uh, the home team usually wins traditionally. Yes. Uh, eight of the top players in the world are American. Europe has one. Uh, there's going to be limited travel from Europe, so there's not going to be the usual cater of, uh, of foreign fans. And so you might think, well, there's no way the Americans can lose. It's, a- it's even a course specifically chosen to play to the strengths of this group of players, of 12 American players. So with all that said, I, I hate the chemistry of this team. I, I question the I question the toughness of some of the players of this team. Yeah. I just watched the U.S. women lose the Solheim Cup, uh, kind of fading down a stretch to Europe. And all of this is just fantastic confirmation bias for me. And I can't believe I can get uh, – I didn't check points but specifically, but I can get better than two-to-one odds on Europe. Uh I mean, what what am I missing here? I, I think I can't I, if it was an even money bet, I would I would really have to do my analysis. So if I'm getting more than two to one, it sounds like free money, but I'm sure I'm way off. John, you're preaching to the choir. So we just <laughs> yeah. on points bet. We just published our show, The Range. Page takes the USA. I take mm-hmm. Europe. And one, you know, I, I looked at the math. Let's say you want to profit one hundred dollars. You'd have to bet one hundred and ninety on the U.S., or you bet $53 on Europe, 190 versus 53. I totally agree with you. If, if the U.S. was minus 120, that would be my spot where I would really have to start to think about it. But uh, I feel good about Europe value here. And in the last couple of days, it's been even more so. You see the Europeans come out. They're wearing Green Bay Packers colors today. They're throwing cheese heads to the crowd. Uh-huh. They're relaxed. They're going to get some crowd on their side. Um, the weather is such, it's kind of, it's kind of chilly. It's kind of windy that plays into their hands. And sure. Steve Stricker knows that course as well as anyone as a Wisconsinite, but the style is a little more European. I mean, uh, it's a, it's basically a treeless course with a million bunkers and the wind is a huge factor and there's odd lies and fescue and the weather's going to play a role. So like, okay, I understand the U S guys are so much more highly ranked. But like if Ian Poulter is playing Scotty Scheffler in singles, who are you going to take? Does it matter that Scotty Scheffler is ranked 29 spots higher in the world golf rankings? It would not matter to me. Now, do you feel a little bit unpatriotic that uh, you kind of like the <laughs> European so much? I mean, uh, I'll get over it and I'll, I'll be betting on Europe anyway. But I'm just you know, curious if you have any twinges there at all or not really. It's a brilliant question. And I'll tell you this. So I covered the 2016 event at Medina, which is just 45 minutes from me. Mm. And I was out there Sunday. 
And yeah, it was a little bit of a bummer about, about the U.S., but if you've given me a choice between a U.S. blowout and no drama or like the sickest European comeback known to man, I would take the comeback because I'm there for the story. And yeah. we as betters have to be smarter than just just say like, well, I want to root for America, so I'm going to bet on America. I mean, that's how most guys are going to do it. And that's probably why you're they're laying minus 190. But I think I will be able to um, throw down at, at plus 190. And look, I like Europe and I like a lot of their personalities. I like our guys too, but bottom line, the loyalty is where your wallet is. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to pivot the conversation away from golf for a moment. Uh, you're a Chicago guy, uh, went to Northwestern, worked for the Tribune for 24 years. Illinois has climbed the state betting handle rankings more quickly than I think most people expected since launching mobile betting in June 2020. It's yeah. now the number three sports betting state most months, despite sports betting being so new there. Points bet operates in Illinois. I know you're seeing strong numbers there. Are you surprised at all how quickly sports betting has taken off in Illinois, or is this exactly what you expected? Eric, it is a little surprising for two reasons. One, Governor Pritzker has sort of gone back and forth. And now the situation is you have to register in person. Right. It doesn't hurt us that badly because we've got three good locations. It hurts some of the other books a lot more. Another problem here is that you can't bet on the in-state schools. So I can't bet on Northwestern, Illinois, Loyola basketball last year. I mean, Illinois played Loyola in the tournament and people could not legally bet right. in the state. Like we're just giving away tax money. <laughs> anyway, look, Chicago is a great sports market, betting market. I got Wrigley Field close to me. The White Sox are hot this year. I mean, how good would it be if the Bulls and Blackhawks were doing anything? The Bears, people pay attention to no matter what. Um, so it doesn't surprise me from the perspective of the passion for sports in Illinois is absolutely amazing. Um, I just wish we had some, uh, you know, some of these rules that would make it uh, a little easier for people to register and bet on colleges. Yeah, yeah. I had already forgotten about what happened with that NCAA tournament game. But uh, yeah, that was the fact that people in Illinois had to think about driving to Indiana or something exactly. like that, whatever the nearest state that would take bets on that game. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that's one of those rules that, uh, okay, they came in with that in order to get things passed. But now that exactly. things are up and running, maybe that rule gets lifted. Exactly. Because it's one of those things where it's just so arcane to think, oh, if somebody has $50 at the game, I don't know, the theories they're going to be harassing some of the players. I mean, they're going to be what, yelling down to the kicker and to try to ice him. It's it's ridiculous thinking. And, and we're almost the only state that has that. So hopefully the brighter minds will realize that uh, that needs to go. Yeah, well, in New Jersey, we have one ballot question on November in November, and it's really the most important one of public policy in the entire state, which is, of course, can you legally bet on Rutgers football or Seton Hall yes. basketball or what have you? Because uh, in New Jersey, that's a weird one where yep. for various political reasons back in the day, uh, they don't allow that. You can bet on NCAA, you can bet on all kinds of just about every college football game in the world, except, you know, Rutgers getting crushed by whichever Big Ten team you can name. So I think that'll be fixed. But getting back to the golf, um, I'm going to challenge you on on, on the level of your cynicism of these American players, because uh, I've got seven core players here. I don't have confidence in any of these. And I think you're going to yield and say, wait a minute. I think this guy might surprise you. So of course it's Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Tony Finau, and Colin Murakawa. Now surely you must have faith in somebody in that list. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. You didn't put in Patrick Cantlay. And I think Patrick Cantlay yeah. is made for this event. So he's going to be really good. He's yeah. annoying to play against because he's got an incredible short game. He plays at his own pace, which is slow. So Cantley's going to be really good. I think JT, Justin Thomas, might be very good. But beyond that, I mean, Dustin Johnson, what you like about him is that he knows the course and he's done well at whistling straights. And I guess theoretically he knows what uh, is a bunker and what is not a bunker. He's also unhurried and you know certainly not going to get frazzled by anything. Colin Morikawa, amazing player, great iron player, which is what's needed at, um, at Whistling Straits. But back injury, rookie, not so sure. Finau, you know, came through in the clutch somewhat during the FedEx Cup. Good for him. But I, I wouldn't take him against, uh, you know, a really tough grizzled Euro. Bryson DeChambeau, who knows? I mean, he could, you know, make eight birdies in a match or he could hit it all over the joint. Um that might help him in match play because it doesn't really matter if you make a double bogey or a bogey, you're probably going to lose the hole anyway, but what his hands are bloodied from speed training for the long drive contest. So that makes no sense. Brooks Kepka, he might only play three matches wrist injury. And um, you know, that might be one where, where Steve Stricker protects him. Jordan Spieth, 06 and 0 in singles lifetime in uh, president's cup and Ryder cup. Very, some strange results there. So I understand your skepticism, John. Yeah, uh, last thing here. Uh, obviously, if you want to goose the ratings, uh, clearly you want to put Brooks Kepka with arch enemy, supposedly, uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, you want to give an odds on that, uh, on Steve Stricker, <laughs> Mr. Whitebread, Middle America, on him going that route, being very daring and and putting them two together as some sort of a chem- chemistry experiment. Yeah, I'm going to put uh, 12 to 1 on that one okay. um, because I just don't think... Steve is not looking for controversy. He doesn't yeah. want to be the story. And that would certainly make him the story if he creates that pair. Yeah. So we'll play it safe. And I think we both know where this is going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this has been a real pleasure talking to you, uh, Teddy. I'll let all our listeners know they can follow you on Twitter at Teddy Greenstein. And uh, we just want to say uh, thanks for coming on the show and have a great time at uh, Whistling Straits this weekend. I will, guys. Enjoyed it a ton. Have a great one. All right. Thanks, Teddy. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first let's update our betting bankroll. And the pendulum swung back against us last week. We went 0 for 3. The less time spent talking about these wagers, the better. Uh, John, you had the San Francisco Giants on the run line against the Padres. They lost 7 to 4. That's minus 100 bucks there. And the football Giants hurt us too. You had the under against Washington. It went over with nine minutes to go. And then another 16 points were scored after that. So it ended up going way over. Uh, And I had Daniel Jones to throw an interception. I guess I had the wrong New York quarterback for that prop. Um, (laughs) Your bet on that game cost us $105. Mine cost us $79. And I know I said last week that we were going to do an MLB futures update this week, but I thought about it. It probably makes more sense to just wait one more week and go over our remaining sweats heading into the final weekend. Uh, For now, all you need to know is we are rooting desperately for the Pirates and Dodgers to lose and for Bryce Harper not to hit too many more home runs. 
In any case, we lost $284 on the week, which puts us $653 in the red. We also have $1,697 on hold and futures bets, which leaves $7,650 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I have to say, this is a week where I'm getting a little screwed out of value by the timing of our podcast. Both of my bets had superior value earlier in the week when I bet on them in real life. But for the podcast, I feel it's dishonest to use a line I saw on Monday or Tuesday. I think, you know, Wednesday night when we're sketching out the outline, that's fair game. And uh, and obviously Thursday morning, right before we record, that's fair game. But uh, both of my bets lost some value between Monday and Tuesday when I bet on them in real life. And now, oh, well, uh, my first bet is in boxing. Massive heavyweight fight in England on Saturday. Superstar title holder Anthony Joshua taking on former cruiserweight champ Oleksandr Usyk. One of the most intriguing fights that can be made in the division. My bet is Joshua by decision. He's a little more than a two to one favorite just to win. I don't love that straight bet. If anything, I'd probably prefer the Usyk side as about a two to one underdog. But I'd say it's about 65-35 that Joshua wins. And of that 65, I'd say 38, he wins by knockout. 27, he wins by decision, something like that. I think there's a strong chance that Joshua boxes behind the jab and Usyk is smart enough to survive. And it could actually be a very close fight on the cards. Although if it's close, I think Joshua probably gets the nod. So I really liked Joshua by decision at plus 330, which is where I bet it on DraftKings on Monday. Now it's all the way down to plus 250 on DraftKings, but I did still find it at plus 300 at FoxBet. So I can live with that. Plus 300 is the price we're getting. $50 to win 150 on Joshua by decision. All right. Yeah, now clearly I have to go Ryder Cup here, obviously. Yeah, DraftKings has the more generous odds from my Europeans at plus 210. So I'll try 100 units there. Let's get some Let's get some cash there. Um, now, I also wanted to go under with the Americans, as Teddy suggested, um, because you have injury risks to Morikawa, uh, to uh, Kepka, DeChambeau, and so on, and plus mm-hmm. the risk that these guys just completely blow it. So I want to go under, but the odds were terrible. I could not get a decent price. So give me 40 units on Victor Hovland of Norway. He's plus 500 on points bet or FanDuel as a top point scorer among the nine rookies in the event this year. Okay. Uh, spread a couple bets around there. I like it. Um, so I have a, a Thursday night football player prop. And when I bet this on Tuesday, the line was Christian McCaffrey over 44 and a half receiving yards. That's a ridiculous number. That's the same number I got in week two and won a real life bet on. It has since gone up. Now the best number I can find is 47 and a half yards at minus 114. Still good value. Uh, He's gone for 89 and 65 receiving yards in his two games so far this year. Sam Darnold is more than happy to check down to him about 10 times a game. He catches passes, whether they're ahead or behind. You know, I'm figuring within another week or two, sportsbooks will figure out that this number should be around 60 uh, each week instead of in the in the mid to high 40s. But until they wise up, I'll keep betting it. $114 to win 100 on McCaffrey over 47 and a half receiving yards tonight. That sounds like a lock, which scares me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to fearlessly uh, toss the immortal Max Scherzer of the Dodgers into the Lions Den at Coors Field. And I'm going to go 160 units to win 100 to win by two or more runs. I know, I know. But Scherzer's allowed one earned run in the last six starts. And the Rockies are very mortal at home versus right-handed pitchers. So I'm going all in and Scherzer's going to absolutely blow them away. 
All right. And it acts as uh, somewhat of a, a hedge against our season long Dodgers bet. Uh, <laughs> at least if if they're if they're going to get to over 103 and a half wins, maybe we'll win a little uh, basically win the, the the entirety of the bet back on this one. We'll see. Uh, of course, we can we can win both. They can uh, win this game by two or more runs, but still not get to uh, 104. Um, yeah. All right. So we finished the show now with the fast five. And you said last week, John, that if you could go three and two every week, that would be great. And so far, you're two for two on going three and two. Um, I, I've been more inconsistent following up my four and one with a two and three. So we're tied now, each sitting at six and four. We split last week's head to heads as you won easily with Buffalo over Miami and I won easily with Carolina over New Orleans. Not much else of note in the results other than that you saw the benefits of getting on the right side of the hook with your Bears minus two and a half pick. And I paid the predictable price for backing the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. (laughs) In any case, we head into week three tied and I pick first this time. And uh, famous last words. I feel good about my picks this week. Uh, surely the betting gods will strike me down for saying this, but I'm, I'm feeling strong four and one vibes this week. But uh, here we go. Uh, first, give me the Cardinals minus seven at Jacksonville. Yeah, the backdoor cover is a concern, but the Jags are one of the worst, if not the worst team in the league. Remember, we have them uh, under six and a half wins for the season. I'm, I'm feeling good about that so far. Even with Arizona on the road, I think this number is about a point or a point and a half too low. The card schedule is about to get tough after this Rams, 49ers, Browns. Those are the next three. They know they can't afford a letdown here. It's vital that they complete the three and O start. I expect them to win convincingly. Uh, Next. I have another big road favorite Ravens minus eight at Detroit. In theory, the Ravens could be due for a letdown after that dramatic win over the chiefs and the lions have shown signs of life. But the last two years, one hallmark of these Lamar Jackson teams is that they beat up on their weak opponents. Lots of 20 and 30 point wins over doormats. Subpar defenses have trouble containing Lamar. This should be a Baltimore blowout. My third pick is probably my least confident pick this week. It's the Patriots minus three at home against New Orleans. And this mostly comes down to me just not believing in the Saints this year. Jameis Winston has been an interception machine most of his career. Belichick's defense will force him into mistakes, I think. Mac Jones, I think, will be in a position where he just needs to game manage. I don't love betting on rookie quarterbacks, but I I think the situation is right here to count on the Pats to cover a field goal at home, although there's obviously some push potential with this one. Uh, No chance of a push in my next game where the line is six and a half. I like the Chargers getting that six and a half in Kansas City. We all have heard the stats on how consistently the Chiefs have failed to cover last year and this year so far. They either fall behind or they let teams hang around. They usually win, although last week against the Ravens was an exception there, uh, but they don't win by much. And six and a half is a lot of points against what I consider a pretty good team in the Chargers, a team that can certainly put up points and either keep this close all the way or rally late to make it look close. Uh, And lastly, you won with the Bears last week. I'll jump on them this week, getting seven points in Cleveland. I guess this goes against my I don't love betting on rookie quarterbacks rule, um, but the Browns have some injury issues. Jarvis Landry is out now. Baker Mayfield's banged up. The Bears have a solid defense. I just don't see Cleveland running up the score. And while a rookie making his first start can be a disaster, I expect Justin Fields to prove himself an immediate upgrade over Andy Dalton. He'll inject some life into this offense. I actually wouldn't be at all surprised if the Bears won outright here, but uh, I definitely like them getting those seven points. So those are my five picks. 
All right. I've, we have one of the same game as you'll soon hear. Um, okay. And uh, I've only been blown out twice in 10 picks so far. and Both were the Saints, actually, against them in week one and with them in week two. So I'm imposing a two-week cooling-off period on Saints games. <laughs> okay. So that's a little tip for you. Uh, I'll start out with... Uh, this is this is too good to be true, maybe. But Panthers on Thursday minus eight at the Texans. I'm not a thousand percent sold on Carolina, but it's amazing how much better Sam Darnold looks with a dominant running back, doesn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't expect the Texans to score more than two touchdowns, and Panthers I think can do a bit better. So that's one. Okay. Um, Ravens minus eight at Lions. We agree there. Uh, tough to give another big spread on the road, but the Lions are all sorts of amazingly bad on defense, as you kind of noted. And this is such a smart franchise against such a dumb one. That I think that alone is worth the score right there, and that pretty much takes care of the point spread. Uh, next, uh, Rams plus one. And half versus Buccaneers mostly a who wins spread of course but I like what I see from the Rams so far and I don't know Tampa Bay is they they're not perfect they're really not Tom Brady looks perfect but I don't think the team is uh Raiders minus four versus Dolphins good news for the Dolphins is that no Tua is no big loss so that's not a problem there uh bad news is they aren't very good and the Raiders are it's possible that Miami bores into the opponent to tears and sneaks in a cover but I'll take my chances and then finally, the Cowboys minus four versus the Eagles on Monday night. Uh, it's risky to bet on a really dumb coach like Mike McCarthy, but I think he can handle the rebuilding Eagles here. No offense. Uh, I'll be more comfortable shorting the Cowboys in future weeks, but not this one. All right. I, I Honestly, every single side that you took there is the side I was leaning toward in each of those games. Other other than I didn't really I couldn't really decide which way I lean on uh, on Dallas and, and, and Philly and uh, stayed away from that one for obvious reasons. But uh, what I think this means, John, is we're both headed for four in one week. So this OK, week. sure. All right. Or at least I'm trying to put the same jinx on you that I put on myself. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Teddy Greenstein. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, I would be remiss if I did not note some comments made by X. Nets NBA player Jason Williams on Tuesday in response to my query during a Seton Hall Law School panel about gambling in the NBA in his era of the 1990s or our era really as I covered his entire Nets career from 1992 to 2000. You know we had reminisced a little bit beforehand and he pointed out how the NBA relatively speaking turned a blind eye back then to drug and alcohol issues compared to gambling and then Jason replied and here we go this is probably a question that will get me into a lot of trouble and it's the biggest secret in all sports then he added, even the biggest player in the world for a time had to take time off because of some issues. I'm not going to say who that is because he's a good friend. And Jason went on to describe an unnamed legend who owed a casino a lot of money. Hmm. In truly unrelated news, in May of 1993, Michael Jordan was spotted in the Atlantic City Casino well past midnight the night before Game 2 of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals against the Knicks. He won his third straight NBA title a month later, yet in October 1993, seemingly abruptly retired. Uh, with the NBA having acknowledged previous investigations into Jordan's gambling issues, conspiracy theories abounded, but the overriding conclusion in mainstream media to this day has been that such theories are nonsense. And what does Williams know anyway? Well, I got a call from an excited Williams in the summer of 1995 saying, I wouldn't believe who he'd encountered the night before. Yep, they just back from the retirement, Michael Jordan was <laughs> recruiting Jason to be the answer to the Bulls rebounding woes. By the way, they took Dennis Rodman instead. But, uh, you know, Jason has been sober going on six years and after troubled life. And he's tried to right his ship in that span. And I see no reason why he would make something up. 
He had NBA Commissioner David Stern interviewed for his documentary, The Last Dance, about the 1997-98 Bulls, just months before he died, emphatically declared the urban legend about a Jordan ban from the NBA was ridiculous. So I don't believe Stern was lying, and I don't think Jason was. So is it possible to square all this up? I, I think maybe. Uh, left out in the middle of the 1993 timeline I described was the murder of Jordan's father in August. That tragedy naturally shook Jordan to his core, and he already had talked close confidants previously about perhaps retiring early, given all that he'd already accomplished. So maybe the stars just aligned to where Jordan had more reason ever to walk away, and Stern therefore had no reason to press the matter, and friends of Jordan may still have seen it as his Aaronist not really having a choice either. So I'm not one for conspiracy theories in general, but you know I, I couldn't run away from reporting on Williams' comments either. Not after having had more than, oh, 900 or so articles, literally, uh, about him published in the last 32 years. Look, in the end, the reader and the listener gets to decide what they think. And with that, until next time, gamble on.